Hi, and welcome to the History of the Rosie Roaring Twenties podcast. Today I'm joined by Serena, who is the Mindful Rambler on Instagram. Hi, Serena. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your like Instagram blog? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm the founder of the Mindful Rambler, um, and we're an interdisciplinary blog um, focusing on the ways we tell stories in the arts and humanities. Um, we have a small team of writers from all over Canada, um, and we write about historical adaptations, literary criticism, biography, art, and culture, to name just a few topics. <laughs> Sounds perfect for today's episode of literature. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so today we are talking about uh, 1920s literature, which obviously Serena sounds like she's a bit of an expert in, or at least a lover of literature. Um, so I thought I'd start with what kind of literature was popular in the 20s or like maybe like popular now and was written in the 20s, kind of, you know, famous and behind their time kind of thing. Yeah, so I think at the time we still had a lot of poetry, um, which was like, I guess you could say mainstream popular, um, but we wouldn't really, like we sort of saw a decline of that over the rest of the 20th century. Um, but we also have novels. Um, so a lot of novels that were written during this time were actually are actually very popular now. Um, probably the best known one would be The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, a Farewell to Arms uh, by Ernest Hemingway, and those two are actually famous friends, incidentally. Um, we also have um, All Quiet on the Western Front uh, by Eric Maria Remarque, and he's a, a German writer, and Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Um, so those are just some of the big names of writers that were active during this time. But there are so, so many more, which I hope to talk a little bit about today. Um, so I do want to say up front that I'm just sort of scratching the surface here with all the wonderful writers we had working during the 20s. Um, a lot of them weren't actually famous uh, or like commercially famous as we'd consider it today until after their deaths. Um, but they did achieve some success during that period. So I would say a lot of the stuff written during the 20s kind of gained traction over the rest of the 20th century. Yeah, like it is a massive topic to cover. Um, there was so much literature, I guess, like in the 20th century, arts and stuff really did um, flourish as well. I mean, it happened in all the centuries we have lots of books but I think particularly in the like 19th and 20th century I think it became more popular so obviously we've got so many people that we could talk about um, and also yeah I guess the concept of fame and commercial success is very different to what we think now like um, even people like um, who were really popular might not have earned the same amount of money as what's in writing a popular book today. So I guess that's something um, to consider. But um, do you want to like go into a bit more um, detail about like what was maybe like different about the twenties literature um, and like did anything make it stand out um, to compared to earlier years? Cause it must've been different to kind of have, 
to still be popular now, there must have been something significant about the works coming out of this time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so in the early 20th century, we sort of saw the rise of modernist literature. And I would say that really uh, gained more traction during the 20s. Um, a major reason for this was the end of the Great War. And I guess from a pandemic perspective, the Spanish flu uh, had also just swept the, the world. Um, so we have a time of great change. Um, and I think what really happened and, and made a significant impact on, on literature in the 20s is that so many societal changes took place during the war. You know, social roles were reanalyzed, the role of women, the role of the British Empire, those kinds of questions were sort of being, um, you know, posed more and more in literature. Um, <clears throat> sorry, um, we have sort of Ezra Pound's maxim to make it new is sort of a way you can describe modernist literature in a nutshell. So everything marked in this period was sort of uh, characterized by the desire to break away from previous literary traditions. And I think that's why the 20s stands out in literature, because so many authors were just breaking out of, you know, conventions and the norms of, of literature as we knew it before then. Yeah, definitely. And I think, obviously, like you said, like, um, the roles of uh, people were changing. Um, and this was reflected within the literature that was being produced, which um, would have, I guess it would have been a massive change from previous, if we think about some of the other bigger novelists, maybe from a few, like, the end of the 19th century, like Jane Austen and like the Bronte sisters, their literature is completely different to a lot of the stuff that's produced even say 20, 30 years later. So I think like people reading would have noticed a difference, like the cultural shift as well, um, as well as us reading back on it, um, which I find quite yeah. interesting to think about. Um, so is there any kind of novel that is like standout for having like maybe like the prized possession of the 20s that people always kind of refer to as being like, you know, the most, maybe not the most popular, but kind of the most intriguing, I guess? Well, I don't know if my bias is showing through, but I would say The Great Gatsby without hesitating I think it is one of the most, uh, you know, recognizable examples of fiction during this time period. Uh, lots of people have to read it in school. There are a number of uh, film adaptations of it. And also it just really gives people the lay of the land of the 1920s in terms of society and, and sort of ideas that people were, were thinking of during that time. Yeah, I was going to kind of say the same thing. Like The Great Gatsby is definitely the one that kind of sticks out in my mind because everyone, like most people have read it or heard of it or watched the film or um, something like that. So I always think of that one as quite a like influential book, even though I think at the time, I'm, I could be completely wrong, but I don't think that um, the writer, he wasn't, he, he made money out of it, but it wasn't as hugely successful as you would have thought it was 
when you see it on the bookshelves today. Yeah, uh, so F. Scott Fitzgerald, he was successful, I would say, during his life, but his works didn't really kind of blow up until after his death. Um, the Great Gatsby is really interesting because it actually became known more widely in World War II. Um, the book was actually distributed among American soldiers during the Second World War. Um, and even through a Red Cross agreement, it ended up being sent to Japanese and German uh, POW camps. Um, so at that time, the book was actually being distributed but Fitzgerald had died uh, five years prior to the end of the war in 1940. So all this was sort of happening at the same time, but yeah, quite a good deal after the 20s itself. That's very interesting that it was kind of distributed to soldiers and stuff because it's just not the type of thing that you imagine gets given to soldiers. So, um, But I can kind of see where that kind of spiralled the book into like mainstream... Um, you know, getting re read in schools and stuff like that, because I'm sure a lot of people would have read it when they were out off at the war and maybe come home and said, oh, I've read this book. And then I guess it just all spirals. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's really interesting. I hadn't heard of that before. So that's like, I've learned something new already. <laughs> um, yeah, it is a bit strange because it's not what you would consider a morale-boosting book by any means, um, but it does encapsulate a lot of American identity, um, despite its sort of tragic ending. Yeah, and I guess maybe for a lot of the people who were fighting in the war, maybe the 20s was like, you know, thinking back to a better time, like, uh, you know, the soldiers who maybe in their like 30s at this point would have had their childhood in the 20s and maybe it was just kind of oh this is about a time that you would have been alive in like <laughs> have a read um whereas like obviously now the 20s was a hundred years ago so we wouldn't really think of it like that I guess that's uh, a really good point yeah I hadn't thought about it but I guess there could be some nostalgia or or just the the notion of a respite from uh from war yeah in terms of that choice of book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it would be quite nice to imagine all the partying and stuff while you're somewhere um, not so um, not so nice. Um, so, like, yeah. on obviously, like, um, we said about, like, what was different about the literature, but, like, um, was there, like, common themes and, like, messages in the literature? And, like, was it... Like, was that kind of what tied all the 1920s literature together? Like, all of it was quite similar messages and reflections on the world? Or were they all just, like, completely different? And that's what makes it such a great era for literature. I think it could be a bit of both. Because I think there was sort of... You got two ends of it. There were a lot of war novels or war poems that were still being published. Uh, and those ones, you know, like Hemingway, uh, A Farewell to Arms, and those kinds of themes sort of looking back on what had just happened. And then the ones that are fully rooted in the 20s or in the present, I guess you could say at that time. Um, but I think all the themes can be cons considered consistent in terms of social commentary, or I find that the 
books that are most remembered from the 20s now are ones that contain very sharp social critiques. Um, like Gatsby is one of them that embodies that sort of classism theme. Um, Virginia Woolf did a lot of that as well. Um, the infamous Lady Chatterley's Lover, which was not actually allowed to be published in the UK before 1960 due to its raunchier content, um, did also have that sort of commentary of the working class versus the upper class. And I think society at that time, at least in the Western world, was still trying to break out of the sort of dichotomy between aristocrats and the working class. And I think that those are themes, so themes of social change that appear in very many of the works that we consider uh, landmark uh, pieces of literature from the 20s. Yeah, and um, talking like more in kind of American literature, was this kind of idea of the American dream, which was, I guess this was being sold to people kind of from the start of the 20th century, I, I think. Um, maybe like even even now the American dream is still sort of um, a present idea. Um, was the American dream like sort of making its way into literature at this time or would you think that maybe came a bit later? I think very much so. It was coming into literature. I think it was more cemented as a term in, I think, the 30s or 40s. But um, I think the concept of the American dream was sort of uh, present in popular culture since even the American Revolution, even if it wasn't named as such. But they did have that notion of all men are created equal, regardless of how true that really was in America at the time. Uh, and that notion that hard work could get anyone ahead if they just had the discipline to put it in, uh, you know, put in the hard work to get to their own advancement. Um, the Great Gatsby does sort of, I guess, build up the American dream throughout the novel and then sort of send it crashing down around us at the end. Um, but I thought it was cool that in Gatsby, um, Gatsby has a notebook with, you know, uh, these little routine notes from Benjamin Franklin, so from, you know, years and years and years before. Um, but his principles do illustrate the American dream in practice of just being disciplined and having hard work uh, reward you in that sense. Yeah, and I guess, like, obviously the American dream, like, well, it's just like a concept that's probably always going to be there because that's the image that America wants to um, put out put out to everyone but um, I was thinking like so who were the kind of famous authors of the time and I don't know if you know any of their backgrounds but were they kind of feeding into this idea of like anyone could achieve anything because I know like say in the um, 19th century a lot of poets like say lo like Lord Byron and um, like Percy Bushelli and that they were from rich families and I think that is one of the reasons why they were so successful because they had the um, backgrounds to support themselves. Whereas I was thinking, like, in the 20s, was there a bit of a shift? Um, like, who was famous and, like, did they maybe not come from nothing, but was were they trying to sell the dream of, like, oh, I've written a book and it became popular um, compared to previous years? Yeah, I think... I think that sort of tradition of people being aristocrats going on to be poets or, or novelists or writers 
um, still was very much in play at this point. Um, but you didn't have to be an aristocrat in the 20s to be successful. Um, so we are moving away from that notion a bit by this time. Um, Ernest Hemingway, um, he actually was working class um, in the sense that he was a journalist for the Toronto Star, which is my hometown. And uh, he, he lived and worked here as a journalist um, for many years before going to Paris, also as a correspondent. So you do see more of that, um, you know, working to support yourself and writing on the side, um, proving successful in, in some cases. But I still think there was very much a sense of struggle there. And obviously, if you were well to do, you did have a leg up uh, in terms of what you were able to accomplish. And also the platform that you had, um, like you mentioned with Byron and the poets, they had circles where they could exchange their work and get it seen and published, um, which wasn't always the case in the 20s, as I think you see more people from humbler backgrounds succeeding. And I think that goes hand in hand with the the social change that the war had brought about and sort of allowing more change to take place in terms of who can can, you know, make a name for themselves. But it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so who I know we've kind of touched on it, but was who were the most famous authors and kind of was there a lot more female authors or? not particularly because I know a few female authors from this time but I don't know a huge amount I, I'm not sure if it was still kind of difficult for women to make it in the uh, book writing industry yeah I think there were some more actually I think you're still gonna have the that more male presence in terms of authors during this time but there were a number that did come to prominence and recognition so um, Catherine Mansfield, a New Zealand author, um, she was active in the early 20s before she unfortunately died of tuberculosis, um, which is too bad, but, um, but she was around. And then we have Virginia Woolf and Vita Sackville West, sorry. Um, and those two actually had a relationship uh, during the, the 20s as well. Um, but both, so Vita Sackville West was actually considered more commercially and critically successful than Virginia Woolf when they met, even though Woolf would be the more well-known author today. So that's just an interesting example of how things change after the fact. Um, we have uh, Lucy Maud Montgomery had written the Anne of Green Gables uh, series in Canada, and she was still active during the 20s. Um, Edith Wharton, so the Age of Innocence. Um, the, Agatha Christie was also getting started in the 20s, and her first novel uh, came out in 1920. Um, and then in terms of male authors, we have um, sort of an, an interesting split between American and British. Um, E.M. Forster, who wrote A Room with a View and Howard's End, was active in the 20s. Um, and I mentioned, obviously, Fitzgerald, Hemingway. We have James Joyce from Ireland, um, D.H. Lawrence, who wrote Lady Chatterley's Lover. Um, Robert Frost and T.S. Eliot were major poets from the States. Um, we also have William Faulkner, who wrote The Sound and the Fury. Gertrude Stein was a, was a well-known novelist and poet. Um, Langston Hughes, another American so I was surprised, actually, to see 
as many British authors as American, because I feel like a lot of emphasis is placed on American authors during the 20s, but it really wasn't that concentrated. Um, there were authors from all over the world, and I think the way that we look at things, you know, is it's definitely through a specific Western lens. Um, but yeah, there were, to answer your question, there were a lot of uh, female authors who were coming to prominence at this time too, which is interesting to see. Yeah, I guess with the changing roles of women, then it should be expected that even in um, higher up, I guess not higher up because you couldn't really consider writing higher up, but I guess successful um, making money out of writing, um, you should expect to see a change there um, to reflect like general society. Um, and it's interesting that you say like, oh, they weren't all American. Because I do think like the idea of the Roaring Twenties does come from America. And I think it does come from the Great Gatsby, this idea of like, you know, parties and drinking and flapper girls and all that. Um, but so um, is it, do you think it's just because of the content that was written about that America has more prominence or is it just... Um, like, uh, like Britain also had like big authors and books, but was it just because they weren't writing about this glamorous kind of roaring twenties? Whereas, like, I guess it was created by the authors in America. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think, um, <clears throat> I think it might be because people sort of associate America with like progress and change especially in the 20th century you know they were becoming a powerhouse um on the world stage um and maybe that sort of has been placed in opposition with you know some of the more traditional um authors that have been prominent in britain in the 1910s or the edwardian era because um, some of the ones I did mention were, were already sort of publishing or working in the decade prior. And, of course, we're still working into the 20s. So I think there is that sort of uh, connection that we make with America as being, you know, having a lot of progress uh, taking place in the 20s. But I don't think it should be underestimated uh in Britain as well, because I think change was happening all over the world in the 20s, and it was a time of great prosperity, um, creatively especially. So, um, yeah, it's hard to say why we sort of associate the Roaring Twenties with America, but if I had to put my finger on a cause, I would sort of uh, play it off of identity politics in a way, and, and the associations we have with America in the 20th century. Yeah, definitely. And I think like that is a good point that stuff was changing everywhere. Like even like Agatha Christie, she's one of the most best-selling authors of crime fiction like of all time. Um but you know, she got divorced when she was uh younger and that wouldn't have happened at, like 30 years previous to that. She probably would have just stayed married. Um, so like even the authors were going through their own social change. So I think we do have the opinion that Britain was a little bit more behind America in terms of really fast social change. But um, I think with the works and the people who are writing them, it's like reflected that maybe Britain wasn't as backwards as we <laughs> all like to think. Um, 
And I was just wondering, like, so obviously, like, a lot of the literature from, you know, America, even, like, the UK is iconic now. Um, do you, like, why do you think it's become iconic? Like, why is The Great Gatsby, for example, like, such an iconic novel um, to everyone? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think, and we've touched on this a little bit, I think there is that sort of awe that we have of the glamour of the 1920s. And regardless of how authors sort of treat that um, that promise, whether they have a cynical view of it in the literature or whether they are on board with celebrating it, we are attracted to that aesthetic. We're attracted to the, the feeling, the social uh, movement of the time. And I also think that it's, you know, smack dab between two world wars. It is a sort of glowing spot of the early 20th century. Um, a lot of people do read for escapism. I'm one of those people. Um, so I would possibly go towards more of the interwar period uh, stuff rather than, you know, gritty war novels. And again, some of those were written during the 20s, but... I think the glamour aspect does play a part. Um, I also think, you know, things like The Great Gatsby are very deeply human at the heart of it. So regardless of whether you can relate to the themes of the American dream, you can relate to the humanity shown in Gatsby's journey and his attempt to sort of win back his his lost love and also what that means more broadly. Um, I think that maybe... Like, I'm not an expert in this, but I would say that maybe in the 1920s, we were cutting deeper into more human questions that maybe wouldn't have been addressed before the war, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, yeah, I think the 20s was a time where people really thought about what life was all about, I, I think, because, you know, after such a brutal war, um, it was kind of just a time of... I think it was a time of reflection on how things could be different. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a good vantage point for people to examine the 19 uh sorry, the 20th century from the 1920s. Um and I think people do tend to go back to those times of great change because it helps us understand. Um so if you are reading literature to sort of I don't know, enrich your understanding of the human condition uh, or you're just reading it for entertainment purposes. Uh, either way, it's going to give you a sense of understanding or, or sense of something uh, that, you know, you hadn't really lived through for, for those of us reading it today, but which we can try to understand. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, even modern authors still refer back to these themes um, that were present uh, in the 1920s literature. And also a lot of books are still set during the 1920s or like um, inspired by that kind of glamorous setting. So I think like if you had to choose like an iconic period that there's been a lot of literature and entertainment based around, I would say like the 20s is one of the times that you know, you you could easily pick up a book either written in the 1920s or based around the 1920s um, 
in a bookshop and you wouldn't think twice about it whereas like when you actually look into it it's just really interesting that you know a period of 10 years has made such an impact on um writers and the industry in general I guess yeah uh I think it is one of those times that you can sort of jump into without needing to really understand like you mentioned Jane Austen and you know in the Regency era her books are pretty um they're easy to understand from a social uh like theme once you get into that world right but when you're in the 20s I feel like it's a little bit easier for us to connect to that because it is more contemporary of course but also the social shifts had moved significantly towards what we know today for us to be able to see things that are more recognizable at a glance um, and very easy to just pick up uh, in the way that some literature prior to that time uh, isn't for us today. Yeah, definitely. I think most of us could probably relate to someone in the 20s. I mean, not in all aspects, but in a, on a general surface level, we could relate to them because, you know, people from the 20s, you know, if you're born in 1921, you could still be alive today. So, you know, you've bought those experiences. I think we're still kind of in connected to the 20s, whereas someone who's, you know, was living in 1820, it just seems like a whole world away. Um, and I don't feel at all connected to someone who was born in 1800 because that just feels like it was so long ago whereas someone you know born in the 20s like that could be your grandparents like and I think that's why I think that's why we connect to it so well because people are still telling the stories of that time um whereas not so much from previous um years which is just like interesting I guess to think about um how after a certain amount of time you know maybe in 30 years time maybe we will have changed on a surface level and people won't be able to relate to the 20s literature yeah yeah I think it's very much based on the vantage point that you're approaching literature from uh and I think the 20s being such a time of change really does put it uh you know in our favor for us to interact with compared to something from like the 1600s or something yeah definitely um and so were was publishing was that like a good industry to get into at this time then so like if you kind of wanted to make a statement would writing a book is that the way or is it kind of just still a bit I mean today like so many people write books to show what they want to say whereas I think that might not have been the case a hundred years ago. Yeah it's hard to say um, but I think there was a, a there was a lot of um, sort of essay publishing going on during this time so all the writers I mentioned, or many of them at least, did also write essays in addition to their novels or poetry, um, critical essays on other works of literature or artistic movements, um, stuff like that. Um, so I think there was still a platform in the sense of if you wanted to say something about society, you would publish an essay like that. I think poetry as well was more 
of a thriving industry then than it is now. I, I don't know. I wouldn't consider myself an expert of poetry today, but I would say it was very, very popular in the 19th and early 20th century. For example, more everyday people just read poetry, um, whereas today not everyone really picks up poetry as their first option for reading. Um, so I think you did see a lot of commentary there and a lot of uh, awareness toward poetry and critical essays um, that I guess you could compare to modern day blog posts and things like that. Um, but I, I, in terms of how much of a industry was thriving, I'm not actually sure, to be honest, um, you know, how easy it was to get published or not. I would say probably not that easy. Um, like today you can self-publish pretty easily if you have some poetry to share or even a novel. But back then I think people were more, you know, set up with traditional publishing houses and, and going on that avenue to get their work uh, out there. Yeah, I think that, yeah, is most likely um, the case. I mean, in terms of poetry, I mean, the only time I've read poetry is when I've been forced to from school. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't think I'm the only one in that boat. It's just not a popular thing. Maybe in a hundred years' time, like, poetry will be back in the spotlight and everyone will love it. But I think it's just got that kind of old-fashioned feel about it. Um Whereas books, because it's just books are just always moving on. So I think people always read classic books, um, but they won't read classic poetry, which doesn't make any sense, but that's how it is. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. there must have been like a lot of publishing houses back because I think we have a lot less publishing houses now, but they're bigger. So we've got like publishing houses that have joined together. So I, I reckon like, uh, back then you probably had lots of little publishing houses that did you like a little deal like a back-end deal kind of thing and then that was you sorted because I know like um, Dickens when he was publishing his books it was almost like he didn't really get a lot of the profits out of it because it was just kind of published by like he like just because of the publishing costs of it really um, so I guess this was kind of changing in the 20s because some people did make money. Um, but it's just interesting to kind of think like um, how different it would have been to the process today. Like I wonder if you would have sat down and had a meeting and um, given them the manuscript or whether it would have just been like, right, we're just going to do like 100 copies and see how it goes. <laughs> like it would have been interesting to be in, in the room at that time. <laughs> yeah, um, I think... There are a lot of books that are, you know, very, very famous today that only had small print runs uh, when they were first published. And so they were not really recognized at the time or they sort of were picked up later. Um, I think it's always sort of a story of the tenuous industry in the sense of trying to get published and also trying to get people to buy your work, right? Um, and that's where it gets tricky because it either helps you sustain your lifestyle or, uh, you know, you're basically overlooked and maybe only recognized after your death. Um, which is kind of sad to think about, but um, it was, yeah, still a struggle uh, in many ways. 
Yeah, and I guess getting recognised after doesn't pay your bills. As much as it's nice <laughs> and it's lovely that people remember authors and artists that might not have had the, you know, exposure in the 20s, it didn't help them live their life. That, you know, that didn't help them at all. So as much as it's nice that we're talking about them now, I'm sure they would have liked us to be talking about them in the 20s. Um, yeah. Because... And if you're F. Scott Fitzgerald, even being recognised doesn't pay your bills. Um, like he was, he had to sort of fund this lavish lifestyle that he and his wife Zelda had had fit into, you know, um, and it kind of led to a lot of strain in terms of debt, right? So it it also depends on what you get used to when you are famous, right, and recognised, and and how to maintain that. Um, but that, that's not, a, that's not a situation that every writer found themselves in. Um, but yeah, it's definitely tricky to navigate in, in very many different situations of successful or not successful. Yeah. And I guess in the case of like Fitzgerald is like, okay, we know the great Gatsby, but personally, I don't really know any other of his books. So okay, you might have one book that's a success, but then making book number two or three or four, that's where the problems come in for a lot of these authors in the 20s. Like, a lot of the authors that we know about only have one or two popular books and the rest of them have just kind of been pushed to the side, um, which, you know, after, you know, they've probably put the same amount of work into writing them, so it would have been very frustrating at the time. Yeah, I think there's always that pressure of living up to, you know, if you break out and make a success of yourself. I'm not sure about this, but in terms of Fitzgerald's other book, This Side of Paradise, it might have actually been more popular, you know, during his time or again in the 40s, like during the war. Um, but now, yeah, like you said, not a lot of people really know his other works at a glance. Like, if you mention his name, nobody thinks, oh, this side of paradise, unless they kind of know a bit about him or, or that time period in literature. So it is definitely a question of sort of what we've latched on to and preserved from that time period. Yeah, and yeah, it's interesting, like, whereas some other authors, I know, like, she was obviously writing into the 30s and onwards, but Agatha Christie, a lot of people could name 10 books from her maybe 20 books from her whereas yeah Fitzgerald just obviously you know for to come go to modern readers his books haven't translated to what we enjoy today so it's interesting to see how different people achieve different levels of success with different books because there's literally no formula to it like you write a book and yeah that one's good then you write another one and it's good, but it's just not good enough. Like there's just, I don't <laughs> see the reason behind it um, because I assume like Fitzgerald's writing was all, you know, similar because it was him writing it. So it's very strange that his other works aren't out there. Well, they're probably out there, but aren't out there as much as The Great Gatsby. Yeah, it's not like you could just name it off the bat. Um, I wonder if it's because... You know, his his books were more literary in the sense that The Great Gatsby has been called uh, sort of one of the prime examples of the great American novel. So it's so tied up in, you know, the identity of America 
and then you if you sort of pivot and compare that to Agatha Christie's novels they aren't trying to be like these sort of um you know heaving with emotional like revelations about her country in the sense or the society that's definitely wrapped up in it but her books like being from the mystery genre there's sort of a sense of I don't want to say serialization but with Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple there is that sort of sense of installment so you can maintain that fan base sort of like Arthur Conan Doyle did with Sherlock Holmes in the Victorian era um, you know, it's it's recognizable in the sense that people are waiting for new installments of the same characters. So I wonder if those kinds of factors kind of contributed to her sustained interest and, you know, people recognizing her stories as more of a cohesive offering than, you know, one-off novels that are more literary in terms of, like, abstract ideas, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I hadn't really thought about it like that but now that you say like yeah the fact that she did have recurring characters or like even recurring themes to a point you know a lot of them are set in Baghdad or Egypt or you know hot foreign countries um I guess that would have appealed to people because they know they knew what they were getting when they picked up an Agatha Christie novel you know it starts in a certain way you've got the middle and then you've got the reveal at the end and I think maybe, yeah, that, that format did help her stay relevant and helps her today because other people have copied her format of writing. Whereas, yeah, maybe Fitzgerald was just a bit too out there for, you know, prolonged success. You know, maybe, you know, some musicians are one-hit wonders. Maybe that was just the way that it was going to be for Fitzgerald. He just couldn't entice people into reading the second one because they didn't feel a need to. Yeah, or again, that question of, like, what did people latch on to in the 20s versus after his death, right? You finally have that newfound appreciation for someone's work, and then it does sort of stick. I think it's also interesting that, because, so, I do a bit of creative writing, and I've noticed that even today, certain publishers are a bit leery of what they call genre fiction so if you are writing a mystery novel or fantasy novel that's genre fiction versus literary fiction which is more in the style of what Fitzgerald was doing um but despite the sort of condescension that I've seen like you know some people have towards genre fiction as not being as good it often tends to be very very popular so you know, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, you want your book to be commercially popular, to be a success, right? So it's interesting playing off those types against each other. Yeah, and I guess some of these, I guess not genres, but maybe like styles of writing did really like hit the road in the 1920s. Like maybe previously, I know, obviously there's some really like standout novelists from the 19th century and stuff, but maybe like the developments of genres and um, like literary writing and stuff in the 20s has then helped us today because if they hadn't have continued um, building upon what other people have written in the past then I think we like I think literature would be very different um, if they hadn't kind of experimented then. 
Yeah, um, and sort of going back to sort of popular hit genres that were taking shape in this time, we had um, Winnie the Pooh by A.A. A. Milne. So a Canadian author, actually, um, this, like Winnie the Pooh was first published during the 20s, and we can see how those, I mean, ch as children's literature, they're a bit different in terms of comparing, but you can see how that same concept of the recurring character and like serialized stories, um, you know, it really takes off and people can, you know, see familiarity there and, and you know, get invested in a series. And uh, I feel like the previous literary tradition wasn't skewed so much towards those kinds of long series as it was towards individual works, uh, individual novels uh, before then, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't actually think of many um, like series of novels before the 1920s. Like I can't, I don't think Jane Austen or Charles Dickens or anyone like that wrote like a continuation of um, a character. Um, so that's quite interesting to think about because you just kind of take for granted that, you know, you can read about your favourite character and then there's another book a few years later and then there's another and it just continues so I guess like that is interesting that um it probably did become really popular during this time um so we have yeah. them to thank for kind of the I guess it was an experiment of literature as well because they you know who knows if you'd want to read 10 books about Winnie the Pooh um I guess that was <laughs> you know he was just testing the waters but I mean, he was correct because Winnie the Pooh still makes tons of money today. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. interesting, really. Yeah, it's hard to, like, I really, I'm not the most well-versed in it, but I would say before Sherlock Holmes I, and, and before people like Anne of Green Gables, like, those were the first series that I can really think of, that it was, like, a character coming back for more installments. And I think that did cause a shift in publishing and in terms of the way we consume media because um, they didn't have TV shows like long-running TV shows that we have now but you could almost compare that with you know a continuing novel series of like seeing your same characters on TV now um, yeah it's it's just interesting to sort of trace where things first picked up speed <laughs> yeah and I guess maybe like people in you know who are writers either kind of now choose to be script writers or you know like novelists um which back in the 20s wouldn't have really been a a choice like maybe you might have had a few films or um some radio kind of plays um and stuff like that but you wouldn't have had the same extent of like the script writing industry um and stuff like that so I guess the people who maybe towards the end of the 20s didn't decided not to be novelists and went into script writing which you know then developed on today as well because you know you have to be a good writer to write a tv series yeah I think uh, the way that writing has blossomed out into so many different types of media uh, is sometimes underestimated, um, but it's really cool to think back to how, you know, people writing poetry used to be the mass consumption market and then shifting to novels and then shifting to television and film um, just as we evolve technologically. 
Yeah, and I guess we don't really think of the film industry as being like a writing industry, but like at its core, it is all about the writing. Um, so it definitely has like shifted um, like from there. Um, and also like, I guess the films have kept books from the 20s alive as well. If we think about the Great Gatsby film and even films... Um, you know, there's films about authors as well. Like, I think there's a film about uh, Virginia um, Woolf and Vita Sackville West as well. Like, there's so many other ways that the literature is being kept alive today. Yeah, and I think one thing that's worth noting is that I think uh, the personalities of writers in the 20s are, is something that has also carried over. Like, we do see... I don't know, I guess this is true of, of many uh, different eras, but like that sort of pulled towards knowing writers as people or, you know, people visit writers' graves, people visit Hemingway and like, you know, they, they leave stuff at the graves. Um, so, so there is that connection to writers as people that I think uh, the 20s has a few, you know, big shining examples of in terms of personalities that we remember and personalities that we celebrate yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I guess like in the terms of like other like and stories about them, like scandalous stories and like, you know, Virginia Woolf and her relationship with Vita Sackville West and stuff, that would have been a really like interesting thing at the time, like actual like gossip, which might not have been a thing before because there wasn't much to gossip about. So it's like interesting to think like how that's also expanded on to like you know people talking about JK Rowling now and stuff like that yeah definitely I think there was a time where you know the writer's personal life was very separate from what they wrote uh and you know it's not really the case so much anymore um at least when writers do controversial things or say controversial things um but yeah, it's just interesting to sort of think about the presence of the author in their art. Um, I think with like any piece of literature, there's always going to be traces of their own biography in their art. But whether or not it's sort of brought up by people studying it uh, has changed, I think. Yeah, definitely. And do you think like this image of like the author as like tied into the actual literature has given us the image that the Roaring Twenties was a great time. It was, like, roaring. Um, do you think, like, that that author image did help with that as well? I think, yeah, I think authors as celebrities was, like, it was a thing as far as, like, someone like Shakespeare goes in, in you know, the 16th century. There were authors that were considered famous, but... Uh, um, in terms of like, yeah, I think their personalities or like the lives they lived um, definitely had an impact on how the era was perceived because people, like you said, attitudes to divorce had changed. People in their own lives were doing different things that they wouldn't have really done before the war. So I think it does reflect uh, both in the author's lives and what they were up to and then their works themselves. Um, as a big change in terms of uh, the Roaring Twenties being roaring. 
at the same time, I think authors did sort of do their share to sort of undercut that image of the Roaring Twenties, at least some of the more cynical ones. Um, like it wasn't, it by any means, it wasn't glorifying the 20s in novels as everything's dandy, right? Like there was still a heavy undercurrent of tension, class tension. And I think that all comes with the late, the, sorry, the landscape of change. Um, there are, are going to be tensions when things are changing, both in personal lives of authors and in stories. And I think that for some reason hasn't really been retained in the myth of the Roaring Twenties as this great time of like a booming uh, industry or a booming societal change. Yeah, like the Twenties still had plenty of problems. We, I think we do glamorise it. And I think, you know, literature has and hasn't helped because I think people, you know, if you read The Great Gatsby, you're going to take away all the nice bits and just forget about the horrible bits. Not forget, but that goes to the back of your mind because you like the imagery of, you know, the the partying and the excitement. Um, and I think, yeah, we've all pushed kind of the bad things. Like, you know, we glorify gangsters, but really it was probably a really horrible industry, like, horrible thing that was happening with people getting killed and stuff like that so I think like literature has just added to our like glamorizing of um the era um because yeah there's always going to be problems I think in any time period if you said oh it's so perfect it was like a massive time of change and everyone was happy that's not the case because that's just never going to be the case because you've got, you know, class tensions, racial tensions, you've got everything in the 20s. And, you know, it's not that long before the Great Depression, which was in 1929 and time of, you know, bad times of the war again and stuff. So I think, yeah, it's like fair to say that there was an aspect of the Roaring Twenties, but it wasn't like all fun and games. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting to think about where we escape to in literature. Like you said, they, they do have flaws, um, but it it is interesting to sort of just slip back into a different time period and see things through that vantage point. Um, like as a historian, people sometimes do ask me like, oh, why do you like the Regency era, like, why would you like a time where there's, you know, women didn't have that many rights? And I think it goes down to sort of the aesthetic of a time period versus the whole time period, if that makes sense. Like you said, with Gatsby, people cling to the aesthetic of it, but like people don't love Gatsby because it's um, awfully tragic at the end. They, the imagery is the first thing that sort of pulls you in. Um, I, I do enjoy the tragedy element in, as a way of reflecting on sort of class tensions and class relations, but it's not why I would go towards a certain piece of literature. It's the aesthetic that pulls you in first and foremost. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, at the moment, everyone loves Bridgerton, but really the period was nothing like that at all. It's just they've, <laughs> you know, over exaggerated it and made it look fun and that's the same with the 1920s literature and everything I think we just like to see what we like to see and that's how it's always going to be um 
but I think if you can take something deeper away from the literature from the 20s then I think that's a really good thing and if you can't and you just learn something new about the 20s then that's also a good thing I think it's always good to read classics from this time just you know just to learn something new and see a different viewpoint on the world I guess. Yeah I think there are great ways to just pick up different cues about society and how it was back then and I always say they're never going to be a whole representation of an era and that's okay like you know Gatsby is just a sliver of 1920s life it's the privileged pocket of, on Long Island of the old money in the Buchanan's and the new money with Gatsby um but you but it's good in that way because you're sort of focusing on one aspect of an era and it makes it manageable for you to to learn from and engage with and pick up different things about everyday life in a different time period that is it's a bit harder to do through straight up research right yeah definitely I think literature is just a great way to learn about things you know life different what people were like and stuff like that and I think it can never be a bad thing to even if you watch the film of The Great Gatsby I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily I think obviously reading the book you know it's going to give you a very different view but I don't think it's a bad thing to if you're not into reading to consume that some somewhere else um but I would like encourage people to read The Great Gatsby and other books from this period because they are really great books and I think most people would enjoy them yeah and the poetry too I I know it's yeah it's it's interesting that people used to pick that up every day and read it and now we don't do that so much but it's an interesting sort of even thinner sliver you could say than a novel because it's usually quite a deal shorter um, but you do get so much insight just from these these works. Um, like, I, I didn't get a chance to mention T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland, but it is one that hits really hard these days because he actually wrote it in the aftermath of the Spanish flu pandemic, which ended in 1920. Um, so it's kind of the counterpoint of what you would imagine t roaring 20s literature to sound like or to look like. It's bleak. Um, it starts off with the line, April is the cruelest month. Um, so you, we do have, again, all these little slivers of 1920 society through all these different works that kind of form a very interesting patchwork when you look at them all together. Yeah, and I guess the 1920s was actually, when you think about the era as a whole, was so different in all the different years. Like, 1920 everyone's just getting over Spanish flu the war has only ended like a year like a year and a half previous to this um and then like you go to like you know in America you've got prohibition starting um and then like the middle of the period is like probably you know the most prosperous and um I guess exciting time which is maybe like when the great Gatsby and all of that was going on um and then you've kind of got the end of the period in like 1929 when um you know the great depression hits and that's when you've got kind of more bleak stuff coming out as well so I think the start of the period and the end is both quite bleak but the middle 
is where I think everyone thinks about. But I think if you think about it as a whole, it's quite different, like, throughout. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's important to remember not to sort of paint the whole decade with the same brush because things were still changing, um, like you said. And I know in my research, I was very interested to see that a lot of the major novels that I recognized um, had come out in the latter half of the 20s. So I don't know if that's any sort of pattern, but a lot of the you know ones that we remember today uh, are sort of coming from the second half of the decade. And I wonder what that means for, for the way the 20s was remembered in literature. Yeah, because it's all very focused on, well, I guess reflecting on the middle to later years, um, where, yeah, whereas we don't necessarily remember most of the literature from, like, the start of the period. Maybe it was just a bit too depressing for us to read, and that's why we don't, we don't like it, and that's that, but I guess it would be interesting to kind of research more into it and see, like, um, what the difference is, because it could be that the start of the 20s it was very similar to the you know the Edwardian era of literature where it was a bit more traditional um but I'd, yeah I'll definitely have to like research into that and see if I can read a novel from the start of the 20s and then read one that came out towards the end yeah uh I think you're totally right that a lot of the stuff that people had been working on during the Edwardian era or even during the war, if they got a chance, had carried over, right? And we were still seeing that published at the beginning of the decade. So, um, yeah, there's just so much to unpack about this era that it you can just keep going and going. And that's kind of what I love about it. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's just so much. I guess, like, the war kind of did stop a lot of books coming out and stuff like that and obviously like war poems were probably really popular during the war and yeah so the 20s just then was like a kind of boom of like everything um which is like really interesting but like you said we could probably talk about this for about days and we still wouldn't <laughs> even hit the side of like actually talking about everything in the topic so I thought we should probably wrap up with some interesting facts and stories before we get too involved and end up having a like 10 hour podcast session. <laughs> yeah, I think with this era, it's e it would be easy to do, you know, <laughs> you wind up just talking all day about it. Um, yeah, uh, I guess it's interesting to think about the different movements that were happening worldwide. Like, I know the way literature is remembered nowadays is very much tied up in that sort of Western lens I mentioned a bit earlier, but there was a lot going on, um, you know, all over the world. Um, we have the modernismo movement in Latin America and, um, you know, the, there's a new, there was a new movement in China that sort of was focused on criticizing the country and moving towards change. Um, but one story I guess I find the most interesting about this era is um, the Harlem Renaissance. So in the USA, specifically New York, um, a lot of work by Black artists, authors, um, was being celebrated in the 20s. Um, and it was called the Harlem Renaissance. 
Um, but it was interesting because he had writers like Langston Hughes, who got famous uh, during this time, um, who sort of, uh, you know, he, he became well known and is very well known still today in the literary world. Um, but other writers were sort of strongly opposed to the Harlem Renaissance. Um, so Hubert Harrison, he was a black writer who criticized the notion of the Renaissance because it overlooked work created by black writers as far back as 1850. Um, so I just thought it was interesting because he his main critique of that Renaissance was that it was entirely created by the white uh, audience that, that had dubbed it the Harlem Renaissance. Whereas you're sort of, it makes you think about the, you know, certain parts of literature, certain cultural creators are only brought into the forefront when a certain white audience takes an interest in it, right? So we have all these different writers creating things in America uh, for so long, but it's only sort of noticed and celebrated as a movement when mobilized by white consumers of literature. Um, yeah, that's ju just like something that stood out to me of the period because I didn't even know a lot about the Harlem Renaissance before. So I just thought it was interesting to sort of look at other movements that were happening sort of outside the mainstream narrative that I learned in my undergraduate degree in literature um, and things like that, that we can, again, keep diving at, down into and never even get to the bottom of. Yeah, and I think obviously literature and our study of the 20s and, you know, most of history um, is from the white lens. You know, we're looking at the white authors who were popular and, you know, the white consumers who were buying those books. We haven't really touched upon the black consumers or the black authors or anything like that. And I think that is just the way that um, the 20s is taught and how history is taught unless you're specifically looking at a topic that is about people of colour or um, you know about I guess you know as well as that like gay people and stuff like that um, so I think it, that's really interesting because I've never heard of that and you know it, it does get left out of the history because I'm sure that there was loads of amazing black writers and you know, Asian writers and people from all different parts of the world and different um, ethnicities that were popular at the time because, but because white people didn't buy it, you know, we don't mention them. And then when white people do buy it, we mention them just as kind of like, oh yeah, they, they like, you know, they were doing their thing. Like, and I don't think that it should just be that they got recognition because people decided to that they liked it I think you know people should go and read their books and um celebrate what they have done because I haven't haven't heard of that but I'd quite like to read some of the books from the people who were kind of coupled into this um like trend and maybe people that were talking out against it just to see like what it was all about because we never taught about that yeah, exactly. Um, it always brings to mind this, those questions of like how the the literary canon has been shaped, right? And what we have kind of built up as must read pieces of work from the 1920s or any other era. And I think 
a broad restructuring of that needs to happen before we kind of get more fully educated on world literature in a sense that we haven't really been directed toward uh, in the past. And uh, yeah, it's just something that, uh, you know, it's worth considering different colonial literatures of Africa in the 20s that I didn't really touch on too much or um, other works that are just uh, just billowing out during this time period. Um, it was definitely one of the more bountiful uh, decades for literature. And um, yeah, we could go on forever. But uh, it's been great to sort of chat through some of the, the major works that are celebrated and why they're celebrated and kind of aim towards uh, digging deeper to those things that are sort of overlooked or haven't been preserved as they perhaps ought know has any questions or anything i'm sure that me or serene love to continue the literature chat forever <laughs> definitely yeah i think beyond the great gatsby there's so much uh and it's been great to be able to to look more broadly at that uh today so thanks again yeah definitely and thank you for being on the podcast um it's been really interesting and i'm sure um, everyone listening will be really interested. So thank you so much. Thanks.